Happy Easter, everyone. Jesus is alive and well, and he is moving and working among us this morning. And uh, <laughs> that morning, as we saw, he uh, came out of that grave, and he started to do some things, and people didn't know what to do with it. Um, you had... Uh, the disciples hiding for fear of the Jews because they saw what they did to Jesus and they were thinking that uh, he might do or they might do the same to them. Um, they're still cowering in fear behind look, closed and locked doors. Uh, the women uh, go and they uh, go to the tomb. They want to prepare the body for decomposition. Um, and they find angels and they find the tomb is open and they find... Jesus himself. Mary comes into contact uh, with Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. Uh, she says, just tell me where his body is. I'll go get it. And uh, I just, and he says, Mary. And she says, Rabbi. Um, she is overwhelmed with joy, but then she goes back and tells the disciples, they don't believe her. They want to see it for themselves. So Peter and John run to the tomb and uh, go and find things as it was reported. And they walk away scratching their heads. It says that John believed, but he didn't understand. And then we're going to pick it up with uh, a couple of disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem. After everything that, that we hear and understand happened on that morning, why would you leave? You, you've heard that Jesus is alive, the angels have declared it, the, there are witnesses that have said they've seen Jesus alive. Why would you leave? Let's answer that question and understand more of what's going on here. So stand with me as we read Luke 24, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. It says, that very day, so that Sunday... The day that Jesus rose from the dead, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So everything that had happened in the crucifixion and all the, the things that had occurred uh, on that morning, they've heard reports, all that had happened while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still, looking sad, not excited, as you might expect. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, now just listen to how he's being described here. Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that 
They had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work again like you were working in those days, God, um, even among those unbelieving disciples who, for whatever reason, decided to walk away disheartened, sad, unexpectant, discouraged, even despairing, God, we pray that you would, again, open our hearts to the truth of your word and, again, open our minds to its understanding. But more than that, that leads us into your presence to know you, to be known by you, and to receive all the things that you have in store for us, Lord. You desire to walk with us. You desire to change us. And God, we pray that we would desire those same things. Wanting what you want, expecting what you plan, and putting aside our own expectations and desires, Lord, for yours, we know that you have better things in store than we do. So God, meet with us today, we pray, and do the mighty work that you plan and desire to do in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, here's the deal. They did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. That's the only explanation for um, all the things that you see surrounding uh, the morning of Jesus' resurrection. They, they didn't expect it. And they didn't expect it because they didn't believe it, and they didn't believe it because they believed something else which is weird because they had heard from Jesus that he was going to do this. He says uh, earlier on in Luke, Luke chapter 18, 31, he, said, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, See, uh, I'm going to, up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So what he's saying, the Old Testament talks all about this. And he's going to declare it to them as well. He says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Is that clear? Is it pretty obvious what he's going to happen to him, what he's planning, what's, what's going to happen in these next few days? Verse 34, though, says, But they understood none of these things, this saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he was saying. And so, interestingly enough, if you look in um, the heading of that passage, it says Jesus foretells his death a third time. It's not as if it were a mystery or were hidden or he was being vague. He, he, he can be a little mysterious in some of the things that he says. Would you agree? 
Like you read the Gospels and you see what he said. It's like, oh, I'm not sure what he means by it. This was not mysterious. This was like obvious. This is exactly what's going to happen. It's when this is going to happen. Here's what's going to occur in, in this timeline. They got it, but they didn't get it. But here's the, the interesting thing is that the Pharisees and the rulers of the temple clearly understood what Jesus said and what he meant because they had the tomb sealed and guarded, and their reasoning was because this person, Jesus, declared that he would die and rise again on the third day. Remember what he told them? He said, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. He said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. Do you think they misunderstood what he meant by that? Obviously not. They got it. They understood. He's declaring he's going to die and he's going to rise in three days. So we better make sure that the disciples or some other people don't come along and steal his body. So they guard the tomb, but the disciples themselves don't understand. They don't expect because they don't believe. Here's why they don't believe. Whenever you don't believe one thing, it's because you believe something else, okay? They believed something different was going on than what Jesus had declared to them. Um, when you don't believe that you need Jesus, it's because you believe something else, right? Um, you believe that nobody needs Jesus, maybe, because... Uh, everybody's going to go to heaven. So there's nothing particular about believing in Jesus that I need. And so you believe something different, which prevents you from believing that you need Jesus. Or you believe that um, truth and religion is just so convoluted and difficult that nobody, I've heard people say, nobody can get to the bottom of it. Who can possibly come to some clear understanding of which one is right and which one is true. So because you believe that, it prevents you from believing in Jesus or trusting him or claiming him or receiving him. It's, well, what was happening with the disciples is that uh, they believed something other than Jesus uh, needed to die and needed to rise again. And here's what they believed instead. Probably, I'm I'm kind of interjecting my understanding here. But they had seen um, prophets of the Old Testament time and time and time again die violent deaths. It was, it was a clear pattern throughout their history and throughout the Scripture that uh, these prophets, uh, let's take Isaiah, one of the greatest prophetic writers in, in history, in all of history, okay, including the New Testament. Isaiah was a fantastic, um, believing, uh, hearing from God prophet, declared some things that just were mind-boggling, okay? Isaiah was killed, he was martyred by being sawn in half. So, just a prophet. Um, Elisha, 
Elisha was the protege of Elijah. Elijah got to go to heaven in a whirlwind, but Elisha, his protege, did many miracles. Uh, one of his most famous miracles was um, a Naaman um, came to him, a foreigner came to him, and, and he had leprosy, and he, and he wanted to be healed. And so Elisha told him to go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. Now, at first, Naaman didn't really like that plan, but eventually he went ahead and did it. And he came up out of the, the Jordan River cleansed, healed, completely restored. Like It says like a baby's skin. He, he had that kind of skin again. Okay, But Elisha died of a disease. Well, you can heal somebody else, but you can't heal yourself. Remember what they said to Jesus when he was on the cross? If you're the Son of God, Save yourself. Come down off that cross. If you're who you say you are, okay, the Messiah shouldn't have to die. A prophet, yes, but not the Messiah. The Messiah has an indestructible life. This is what Hebrews says about Jesus. He's a priest forever by virtue of an indestructible life. Remember what we said last week? What, what Jesus did on the cross was he, he wasn't killed against his will, he laid his life down. He sacrificed himself willingly and intentionally for our sake. What happens to the disciples is that they don't understand that the Messiah should have to die because they don't understand the need for a sacrificial death the way that we do. Isn't that weird? We, we get it better than they did? They got it eventually when he rose from the dead and showed himself to them, but we celebrate the crucifixion 10 times more than we celebrate the resurrection. We talk about the crucifixion infinitely more times and, and more often and, and more passionately than we do about the resurrection. Would you agree? You, you hear about the blood of Jesus poured out for you, that he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. We, we declare that, that it is by his sacrifice that we are made clean, pure, and, and righteous. And if the disciples, I'm not going to say understood it, but if they believed that, that it was necessary for him to die, then they, they would have been rejoicing at the cross, having a little worship service while Jesus is being nailed, I mean, it's kind of morbid to think about this, but you should have been overjoyed. My debt is being paid by Jesus on the cross. He who is perfect is laying down his life so that I might become perfect. And they, they didn't understand that because they didn't believe it. They believed something else, which is all this proves, according to the disciples walking to Emmaus is that Jesus was merely a man and he was merely a prophet, just like so many other men and other prophets that we've seen before. And here's what they believe. Sin has yet again triumphed over man instead of what we believe, which is that God has triumphed over sin. Now, Romans says, that Jesus needed to die, he had to die, and be raised again so that he might be the Lord of the dead and the Lord of the living. 
What does that mean that he's Lord of the dead? Do you know what that means? You think that's kind of a strange thing to think that Jesus is Lord of the dead, but what it means, if it means many other things, and I'm sure it does, it at least means this, that he is the judge. That the dead will be judged by Jesus. He's earned the right to judge the dead. Here's how the book of Revelation talks about it. On that day when the dead are judged, there will be two books, right? Have you heard this before? There'll be two books. Everyone's name is going to be in this first book. The first book is the book of deeds, the book of acts, okay, so to speak, the things that you've done in your life. Now, the only way that a person could get into heaven with their name written in that first book, the book of deeds, is if they've... if all the accounts in that book under your name are all good, no bad, okay? no wrong, no mistakes, nothing even unintentionally done against God, no sin. Okay? Anybody pretty confident that you're going to get in based on that? You're thinking, trying to recall some things. Well, I think I made a mistake once, but I'm... Nobody's getting in that way. So that's kind of a dark view of eternity. But then it says that Jesus is going to open up another book. Remember what that one's called? It's called the Lamb's Book of... Who's the Lamb? Jesus. The Lamb's Book of Life. And here's the thing with that other book. Everyone's name written in that book is going to heaven. Amen? He's the judge of the dead. He paid for your sin on the cross... And all he asks is that you would trust him in that. Receive him in that. And that's great. Like, we celebrate that all day long, all week long, all year long, all our lives long. We, we want to trust Jesus' sacrifice to pay for my sin. All I have to do is say yes to Jesus, and I am guaranteed, okay, because my name is written in a book that he said is his book. He's in charge of it. He's in control of it. He paid the price fully for everyone who would receive him. But it's not enough, or at least he wants more for you. I, I rejoice every day in salvation, but he wants more than just to be the judge of my eternity. He, he says he died for, for sin to triumph over it, but he was raised to life so that he could be Lord of the living. Which means he wants to walk with you in your life. He wants to come alongside you. And the picture of the disciples on the road to Emmaus is, here's two guys, or maybe a guy and his wife, Cleopas, and whoever else he's with. Cleopas, you never see his name again in Scripture. Um... We didn't see his name before this. We don't, we don't have any other details of who he is or what he does or anything. And the other one, we don't even know their name. He's willing to come alongside of anyone, no matter where they've been, no matter where they're going, and gently invite you to walk with him. We use the terminology here of being saved, having faith, trusting Jesus, okay, putting your, your life in his hands, that kind of terminology about being saved. Sometimes what happens is because we're so strong on, on that message, we might 
miss the point, which is that salvation simply puts you in a relationship with Jesus so that you can walk with him and he can walk with you and you can hear from him and and he can give you strength and he can give you peace and he can change your expectations. He uh, begins to reveal some things about himself to the disciples and what scripture says here is that their hearts are burning when they begin to understand what the scripture means, what it really leads to, which is that not only can I have hope that I get to go to heaven, but I can have a personal, ongoing, daily relationship with Jesus. And right now, for a lot of people, um, you don't know that. I mean, you know about it, but you don't know it by experience. You, you understand the concept, but you don't have the, the daily sense of God's presence in your life. And, and maybe it's because even the first step of trusting Jesus for salvation hasn't even been taken yet. And because you're believing something other than that Jesus paid the debt on the cross for you, it's preventing you from even expecting God in your life. What happens to the disciples when they stop expecting God to be at work in their life is they just they walk away. And Emmaus, the interesting thing about Emmaus is that it's just this no-nothing, nondescript town when we went, went to Israel, our tour guide said, um, Emmaus doesn't really exist anymore. You, we can stop alongside the road where we think it might have been around that area. And we're like, well, what's the point of that? The disciples were aimless, meaningless, pointless. They just weren't going anywhere until Jesus comes alongside of them and guides them where they needed to be. When you begin to know Christ, he begins to make sense of your life. You begin to make sense of what you're doing on this earth. And we have spiritual disciplines, you know, religious practices that we are encouraging people to be involved in Bible reading and prayer and worship and serving and all that kind of stuff, and that's great, and we need to do those things, but all those things, I hope you understand this, they are a means to an end. What we're after is walking with God. It's hard to describe it. Jesus describes it this way, okay? Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he who opens to me, I will come in and I will eat with them and they will eat with me. And a relationship with God, walking with God, is personal. It's practical. It's something you, when you've had it and then you walk away from it, 
you long for it. Something that when you've had it and you find the strength to carry on one day after the next, you know that you can't live without it. That you, you need Jesus' presence in your life. And when you've gone weeks or months or years walking away from him, not feeling like, knowing that you're walking with him, the despair begins to build in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? You stop expecting God to show up in your life, but he's right there. <laughs> he's just saying, I'm here. I'm ready to come into your life at any moment if you just open the door. He will do that. You don't have to pay. You don't have to be. All you have to do is accept. And we want you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for salvation. Amen. You got to start there. But you got to accept his lordship. He's the Lord of the living. It means he wants to walk with you. And he will, if you'll let him. We're going to have a time of communion. And when we do, I want you to see this in, in our scripture. Luke 24, 31, 30, 31. He goes with the disciples. They plead with him to stay with him. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. At that moment, when they received this symbol, now, did they know it? Were they at the Last Supper with Jesus? Did, did they receive that that symbol with him, I don't know. But there's something so powerful in the breaking of bread, Jesus eating with them, that immediately they knew who he was and what, what was going on. And when we take communion, we are declaring the same thing. We're declaring that I know Jesus and he knows me and I am his, and he is mine, and we are in fellowship together, and we belong to together. I am definitely in the Lamb's book of life, and I'm simply celebrating and rejoicing in that. Listen, this does not save you. This doesn't have any spiritual impact on you. This is your declaration to God. Amen? And I want to invite you right now, okay? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I want to invite you to be really honest with God, okay? Cameras can't see you where you're at, okay? And with all of our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart if you've never done that. 
If you want to just raise your hand and say, yes, I, I want to trust Jesus this morning, then I would love to pray for you, agree with you in prayer. It is not my ability to make you saved. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. See that hand. Thank you, Jesus. It is your declaration to the Lord to say, I want you, and I want to walk with you. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. When you declare it physically, visibly, it's not for me. It's for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, you've, you've, <laughs> you've added to your kingdom today. You have declared your promises. You have made it possible. You died. You took on the sin of the world. You took on our sin. And we thank you. And for those who have raised their hands this morning, Lord, that is the, the banner of triumph, Lord. God triumphing over sin. And we give you all praise. Lord, let us never doubt that we are yours. Because it's not by our ability or our work, Lord. If it were, our names would be stuck in that first book you write our names in the Lamb's book of life and we declare that we belong to you and we give you all praise so we celebrate communion Lord we celebrate what that really means fellowship with God relationship with Jesus that we belong to you and we thank you that it's a simple thing as profound and powerful as it is, if it were complicated, Lord, it wouldn't be worthy of you. A simple act, a simple profession to say Jesus is Lord. And we declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need a communion cup, there's a few tables scattered around the sanctuary. I invite you right now, um, go ahead and grab one. There are gluten-free. If your cup says gluten-free on the top, it's gluten-free. Otherwise, it is not. So if you need gluten-free, please make sure you grab one of those. I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, first of all, with the bread. This is, <laughs> this is our witness, this is our testimony, this is our declaration. When Jesus took that bread and he broke it and he blessed it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. When you and I take this bread, when we eat this bread, we are saying with Jesus, I'm yours, I belong to you. You are in me and I am in you and there's something permanent about that. Amen.
You have been changed internally, permanently, spiritually added to the body of Christ. If that is your declaration this morning, take and eat in remembrance of him. Jesus, we praise your holy name. We expect great things, Lord. We expect more. We expect more of your presence. We expect more of your peace and your power. Lord, we expect guidance and direction, Lord, in a way that we, we haven't been before. Wandering. Lord, we, we are no longer wandering. We're entering into your plan. You've made it possible by your blood, by your sacrifice, by your power, but more than that, your resurrection. Lord, you are a living Lord. We expect a personal daily walk with you. We thank you that you offer it. We thank you that you declare it over us because your victory and it is our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. After the meal, Jesus took the cup and he did something that only he could do. He took a religious symbol that they were practicing, you know, uh, Passover and they were doing all the things that they normally do. And he took this cup and he said, This is a new covenant. And we don't do a lot of covenants uh, these days, but a covenant is God's promise to be faithful to you. This is what we're declaring by the new covenant. I fail. You fail. But our God never fails. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. If that's your declaration, take and drink ye all of it. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray um, for those who have risen the hand. You are risen into a new life. Amen. What an awesome thing. And our praise band is going to come up. We have a closing song, I believe. We're going to sing in celebration of what God's doing in our church, in your life. Amen? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we just give you praise, glory, honor, thanks, worship. You deserve it. Um, Lord, we are celebrating Easter today, celebrating the resurrection of our living Lord, that you wanted more than just salvation. You wanted power in our lives. You wanted presence in our lives. You wanted to guide and direct us into your plans and purposes and give us daily strength. And we praise you. Lord, we are leaving this place rejoicing in your name. Thank you. You made it possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.